Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Let's go to Jude. Today we'll be in verses 8 through 10. Jude is reminding his readers of the historical evidence where God's judgment came swiftly, justly, and drastically upon rebellion. Last Sunday, the Lord's Day, we looked at Jude's three examples of God's goodness and justice. Jude is willing to address the difficult problems for the sake of love. Jude loved his half-brother, the Lord Jesus. Jude loved the church. Jude loved the truth. And it comes through loud and clear in this brief warning that he wrote to the church. I saw some years ago, just a short video on YouTube, the comedian... The magician, however he does his shows, Penn Gillette. And maybe you've seen that video where after a show, he just gives the, uh, he just self-records this video that someone had been to a show of his the night before and they stayed after the following night. They came back and they had a gift for him and the gift was uh, Gideon's New Testament. And Penn Gillette is a, an avowed atheist. He, he's not shy about that and he didn't convert some people like, Penn, he converted. He didn't convert. He was simply commending the man because in grace, he just came and he wrote all kinds of numbers. Here's where you can reach me. Here's an email. Here's my phone number if I can ever do anything for you. And he gave to him a Bible and it just caught Penn Gillette by surprise and he just took the time to make a video. And this is what he said and this is piercing coming from an atheist. Because he actually, he condemns other atheists that try to silence people from what he calls, you know, conversion or or proselytizing. And this is what he said in that brief video. He said this, he said, if you believe that there is a heaven or hell, and you think that it's not really worth telling them, telling someone this, because it will make it socially awkward, he said, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? And he went on to say, if you're standing in front of a truck at some point, if you're not listening to my warning, he said, I'm going to tackle you. I'm going to engage. And he wasn't saying that he believed in everlasting life. But he was saying, if you really believe Christians in everlasting life, how much, those words are piercing, how much do we have to hate someone if we love the social calm at work or in the neighborhood or in family more than we love them? Jude is here motivated by love. So he's tackling a very difficult, very difficult topic here. 
by the Spirit of God, he is interceding for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the church and the mission. And he is sounding the alarm saying, wake up. Wake up. Love and guard the truth with everything in you for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. And this is my prayer, and I invite you again this Sunday to pray that God will use me to speak the truth in love. We must have both. One ditch we love, we don't say anything offensive. That's not loving, that's a ditch. The other is I just tell it like it is and I just don't even care what happens. That's just mean. Speaking the truth in love, that is, that is my prayer, that is my aim, and this is to carry out throughout all of Christianity to a watching world around us. Jude, we're in verses 8, 9, and 10 this morning. Jude continues, and he says, Yet in like manner, these people also, he doesn't name them, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, my tongue is tied up this morning, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning, we're going to just unpack this together. What are the enduring problems with false teachers, all right? There's, there's three errors that Jude points out. What are the enduring problems with false teachers? And this was true in the Old Testament. This was true in the New Testament, and this is true in our day. And so Jude is sounding a warning. He's saying, beware, let me, let me give to you what you need to be watching for. Let me expose them. Let me pull the veil back so that you can understand what is under the hood, what's really going on here. The first aspect that we see from this is their claim. Okay, this is the errors come out of this. And they make a claim. Watch out, because their claim is that they're superior over Scripture. And Jude says they're relying on their dreams. Now, Gnosticism, the Apostle John dealt heavily against Gnosticism. Oh, we know. We have this hidden knowledge, this secret knowledge, this superior knowledge. Oh, you don't have the Christianity upgrade? You need to see us for that. Come to us. We'll, you know, here's, you got the, you know, the apostles and doctrine, and you have Jesus, but do you have this other whatever? You need a little more. They're relying on their dreams. You ever had a dream? I've had some dreams. And you wake up and you think, Whew, I'm glad that was only a dream. Because in a dream, you believe this is real. That's why they're, they're terrifying. Like, this is, this is, this is crazy. 
I mean, I had, I had a dream somewhere in last night with that whole tea thing. I had a dream I was down at the office. Okay, now we did have a groundhog at the office, dug a hole. He was trying to move the office. I think he, he was working hard. He's gone now. But I had a dream, and somebody was mowing in my dream, and there was some crazy-looking big animal, small bear-slash-groundhog coming out from that bush, and I was just in the dream, like, I need to... I wonder if the person mowing, I don't remember who was mowing. I'm like, we need, what are we going to do about this? And then I woke up and I had to go through the reality of, okay. <laughs> Note to self, no Arnold Palmer's before bed on Saturday night. This is getting crazy. This is getting out of hand. All right, this is the point. Dreams, you believe it to be true until you realize that you realize that wasn't true. Whew, I'm glad that wasn't true. These certain people in Jude's day, they're examples of people from previous generations to them and generations that would follow them in many ways. Last week, we looked at the infidelity of the Israelites. They were marked by unbelief. We looked at the insurrection of the angels. They were known for their rebellion. We looked at the immorality of the cities of the plain. They were, they were given over. They were just absolutely given over to search out and find more immorality. These certain people, based on their dreams, okay, a dream is not real, but based on their dreams, their experiences, they claimed and that led them into liberalism because they had a superior revelation. And they're absolutely convinced that they're living in reality. But sadly, like a person in a dream, they're completely in a world that is not real and they have invented the afterlife, and they have invented what they preach and what they publish in articles and magazines and form organizations, and they carry it out to the ends of the earth. And it's all coming from a dream. They're living in error, and they're leading others astray. So they wrongly believe, based on their dreams, based on their experiences, we don't need to submit to God's law. I don't have to submit to Scripture. In their minds, they're above the law for some strange and fatal reason. It's like they're living in a world of make-believe. My dream, my vision, my experience exempts me from Scripture. Now, let's think about this. Islam, birthed by Muhammad, who had a vision in a cave from an angel, a revelation of God. And there are a lot of people that follow after that dream, that experience around the world today. Mormonism, begun in 1830 by Joseph Smith, he claimed to have a revelation from God, first through an angel and then through a book delivered on golden tablets. And there are a lot of people now, they have, there's a schism there, and they're in two different branches, and neither one can bow, believing we are the rightful heirs of Joseph. So, no, we are. So you have Kansas City, and you have Utah. They have their own elders, and they're all equally convinced, we're not in the dream. They're in the dream. We're not wrong. The same goes for Islam, the Shiite and the, the, Shiite and the Sunni. They're, they're both equally committed to we're the rightful descendants and you all are wrong. No, we are the rightful descendants of Muhammad because he didn't have a son. 
So it passed down through a daughter from one side and through a a family member on the other side. We're the right ones. No, we're the right ones. And one side has to say, we're the ones that are wrong and you are completely right and they won't do it. Jehovah's Witnesses begun out of the Adventist movement by Charles Taze Russell in 1870. Where'd that come out of? Students gathering for a Bible study. What has it led them to? Multiple predictions that the world is ending, that, that millions will now living will never die, and most of that generation is now dead. So that each leader of the Jehovah's Witness movement has to basically say, well, the first, that guy ahead of us, we cancel him. Now they have their own perverted translation, the New World translation, so that they can undo and try to deny the deity of Christ, which is exactly what Jude was talking about last week in our text. And then it just comes with, just trust us. I don't trust me. I've got to have something better than this guy. I've got to have something more substantial to anchor my soul to. So no, I'm not taking your dream. I'm not taking your vision. I'm going to plant and build my life and my family's life on somebody's word and somebody's experience? No. Well, we say that, well, no, I, I would never fall prey to something like that. Well, let's, let's bring this home a little bit, church. See, these individuals in, in false systems, in cults, and there are others to add to Scripture, ecclesiastical orders, Pope in Rome, bishops, and, and they add to or they take away from Scripture and then they justify it because of an experience. And this inc- includes liberals and this includes legalists based on what? Well, I heard... Well, you know, I just feel, they say, when you ask them, well, I just feel that, and there, there they go. Well, I just know. Well, you know, we've just always done. You see what's going on here? It's all experience. It's all tradition. It's what I'm familiar with. It's what I'm comfortable with. That's what Hebrews is written for, for those who were raised in Judaism, and then they're given the gospel that sets them free, and they're missing all of the... but. Can we really eat that meat? And aren't we really supposed to celebrate all these days? We used to do all of these things and observances, and now that's all gone, and you've just given us a message? Yeah. Yeah. But I need something more, more than Jesus. Ooh, did I really say that? I didn't mean to say that. But that's what adding baptism, communion, church membership, good works, you name it, put anything in there. To salvation does is it perverts salvation. So instead of saying, well, you know, I've heard, well, you know, I feel, well, you know, I know that, or I've always done, it's, this is what we are to respond with as Bible-believing Christians. Book, chapter, finish it verse. And if it doesn't come from book, chapter, and verse, then hold it lightly, loved ones. Hold it lightly. Be convinced. But if it doesn't come from Scripture, beware. 
On this uh, trip, I was listening to Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, and I just kept stopping it and making notes, making clips. And he said this, uh, he interacted with a Royal Air Force officer, just a, just a hardened man, just a, you know, battle-tested officer, came up to him after one of his talks, the British Royal Air Force, and he said this. He said, I, I've no use, I think it's going to come up on the screen, I actually want you to see this. Because he's, ba- and listen to what he says. He says, I've no use for all that stuff. But mind you, I'm a religious man too. You ever had somebody tell you that? I know there's a God. Well, why? Why, Mr. Officer? Because I've felt him out alone in the desert at night. The tremendous mystery. And that's just why I don't believe all your neat little dogmas and formulas about him. To anyone who's met the real thing, they all seem so petty and pedantic and unreal. What's he basing his belief on? His experience. Have you talked to people like this? You, you just preached a message, C.S. Lewis, and you just told us the gospel. Nah, because I had an experience. These individuals, these certain people, they believe they can do whatever they want to do, and not only will God not judge them, but they actually believe they'll receive the blessing of God. Now, let's go in your Bibles, take it, open it up. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's go to Jeremiah. And isn't God sovereign that even this week, some of us are reading through Old Testament, New Testament portions. And we're going to open, really, this message with an Old Testament portion, and we're going to close with a New Testament portion that came right out of our reading this week. Let me encourage you, if you're reading through, stay in, all right? Don't, don't give up. We're in the last quarter of the year here, so, so finish strong, okay? Now, in Jeremiah chapter 23, Jeremiah, just to give you the context, Jeremiah, is, he's alone. He has his message from God, and everybody, including the prophets, the priests, everybody religious, everybody's against him, and they believe that he is not patriotic. He's, he is killing the spirit of the people because he won't march to the drum of everybody else, and so they don't like him. But he simply has the word of God, and so in Jeremiah 23, you see this amazing this amazing record of, of Jeremiah's ministry and his message and the, and the prophecy of what is to come. Okay, so Jeremiah 23, verse 1. Woe to the shepherds. Okay, that, that's, that's a death sentence. That's judgment. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you. I will shepherd you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather, see this language of the shepherd? I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. Verse 4, 
Jeremiah 23, I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Okay, this is just, just to give you a little sneak peek. This is Jesus. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. Okay, so now think when Jesus came, John's preaching, and they're believing, not seeing the near and far fulfillment, that they're waiting on Messiah to come and do this in that day 2,000 years ago. Remember what the disciples said? Lord, is it time for the kingdom now? No, actually, he's going to ascend why are you still looking up in heaven? He's coming back. Okay, near fulfillment, far fulfillment. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will, be, will dwell securely. That's the two kingdoms that were divided at that time, northern kingdom and southern kingdom. Northern kingdom went into, um, went into exile first. The southern kingdom where Jerusalem was, it fell later. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Whew. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, that's looking back to Exodus, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me. All my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord. And because of his holy words, for the land is full of adulterers because of the curse. Because of the curse, the land mourns and the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil and their might is not right. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house, I have found their evil, declares the Lord. Therefore, their way shall be to them like, a, like slippery paths in the darkness into which they shall be driven and fall. For I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. In the prophets of Samaria, I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my, they led and led my people Israel astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Concerning the prophets, behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows after his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. <laughs> what does that sound like in our day? Your best life now. Name it and claim it. The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. 
For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people. And they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Not put a flag over the church door that has multiple colors in it. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart? who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire? declares the Lord. And like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces, therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, declares the Lord, Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tells them, who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness. When I did not send them or charge them, so they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. When one of this people or a prophet or a priest asks you, what is the burden of the Lord? You shall say to them, you are the burden. And I will cast you off, declares the Lord. As for the prophet, priest, or one of these people who says the burden of the Lord, I will punish that man in his household. Thus you shall say, everyone to his neighbor and everyone to his brother, what has the Lord answered? Or what has the Lord spoken? But the burden of the Lord you shall, not mention, you shall mention no more. For the burden is every man's own word, and you pervert the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. Thus you shall say to the prophet, what has the Lord answered you? Or what have, has the Lord spoken? But if you say the burden of the Lord, in case you weren't listening a minute ago, he says it again, right? This is because he's speaking to men. You know we, men have to be told everything twice. This, this is it right here. But if you say the burden of the Lord, thus says the Lord, because you have said these words, the burden of the Lord... When I sent to you saying, you shall not say the burden of the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will surely lift you up and cast you away from my presence, you and the city that I gave you and your fathers, and I will bring upon you everlasting reproach and perpetual shame, which shall not be forgotten. 
And how did the people respond? You can read Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Let's kill him. I hate his message. Can we just be rid of this guy? Back to Jude. That's Old Testament. You might say that's old school. Beware of any claim to be superior over Scripture. And secondly, beware of a conduct that is subversive to Scripture. A conduct that is subversive to Scripture. Okay, so now we've, we've looked at their claim. That's their words. My experience, better than God's word. My feelings over God's word. My dream, more important than God's word. Now we look at their conduct. This is behavior. Their conduct is subversive to Scripture. And you notice each of these three areas that we look at this morning, they're all undercutting Scripture. They're all against Scripture. They defile the flesh, Jude says. They reject authority, and they blaspheme the glorious ones. That's their three errors. Their conduct, that letter A there, they're defiled. They defile the flesh. Now, what does this word defile mean? All right, I'm glad you asked. Class, little visual aid right here. See it? Nice and clear, right? This word defile, it means to pollute. It means to dye with another color. It means to contaminate. Now, fortunately, this is just a fine little packet for us non-really like to wa drink water people, but we know we're supposed to drink water, so we cheat. Now you have a drink that is dyed. It was just a little bit, just a little packet compared to the amount, just a little bit in, and now it's changed, and the properties have changed. Now, if I took this and I said, anybody want a drink, you'd probably all say, that's fine, yeah, I'll take a drink. But if I took just a drop out of the drain of my shower, <laughs> trust me, I think that, that animal in my dream, I think he lives in my shower drain. <laughs> I live in a house, four girls, now three. I'm telling you, I've cleaned out some drains. If I took a drop and I put it in a bottle of water and said, who wants a drink? It would depend greatly on how long has it been since you've had water. Because that one drop out of a toilet into the water, you don't want it. No, because it's, it's polluted the whole thing. A drop of poison, it's polluted the whole thing. And whenever believers say, ah, just a little bit, it's just a little, it's just a little compromise, then this is the visual aid that Jude is giving to us. They defile the flesh. Just a little. It's like yeast in the lump of dough. Just a little bit, and it permeates the whole lump. Yeast is often pictured as sin. It's the same idea in Scripture. That these false teachers, are te they're teaching it flies high in the realm of sexual liberation because the two go hand in hand. What did Paul write? 1 Corinthians 6, 
verse 18, he said, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. But these people, they defile, they pollute the flesh like Sodom and Gomorrah did. But our body, if you belong to Christ, you were bought, you were purchased. Your body isn't yours, it's a temple. And the Holy Spirit, all of the Holy Spirit, lives inside of you. And the Holy Spirit is sharing inside of you with everything that you and I allow into our temples. When we're scrolling, searching, engaging in whatever we engage in. And the Holy Spirit is in that temple dwelling in us, Ephesians 4.30, and Paul says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. One of the preachers at the conference we were just at was talking about this this week. He gave the illustration of the Holy Spirit inside of us saying, you're gonna let that in here with me? You want me to share? And and then he made this helpful comment. The Holy Spirit is not inside of you and inside of me as a child of God getting angry. He's grieved. He's grieved when we engage and we defile the flesh and we get into things that we ought not be in. And it's just like a little bit, it's just a little. And we grieve the Holy Spirit 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, Paul says, do not quench the Spirit. Notice, if you belong to Christ, the Holy Spirit will not leave you, but his influence, his voice is muted in you and inside of me. And it's the flow of God's love and his power and Christ in us, the hope of glory is diminished in silence because there's sin in us that needs to be confessed, cleaned out, forsaken, gone. And the Holy Spirit says, walk in the Spirit, Galatians says, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not inside of you and in me. Oh, man, you again? Oh, really? And getting angry? No, that's not the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, when we engage in things that we ought not engage in, is grieved. Grief. Broken. That our advocate is in, in heaven, Jesus Christ, the righteous, praying for us to deliver us from present sin in our lives. What are we allowing into this temple? These individuals are defiled. The second error is they're defiant. They reject authority. Now, this is very similar to what we looked at last week with the Israelites. Moses, we're not listening to you. 
And who said Aaron's the top guy with you? Come on. Over and over and over again. Now, if I'm Joshua, remember Moses, he dies, and then afterwards, the people tell Joshua, Joshua, we're so thankful for you. We're going to follow you just like we did Moses. That's when if you're not called by God, you're like, can we talk about that? I have a contract I've worked up, boom, and we're going to change some things right now at the outset of this. These individuals are defiant. They refuse to humbly bow before Scripture. So what they do is they use Scripture. They use words in Scripture. Well, in the Hebrew and the Greek and in the this and that. And they, and they twist Scripture. And people who not trained or haven't been reading their whole Bible are caught off guard and led astray by, well, but in the Hebrew it says, oh, Whatever. And it just sounded like they knew what they were talking about because I didn't know what that word was. They refuse to bow humbly before Scripture. They refuse to bow before God, ordained authorities. I've told you before, and Scripture is clear, there are three realms of authority that God has ordained, the home, the government, and the church. All three of those realms have a responsibility to raise up those individuals in the home, under the government, in the church, to be self-governing under God. Not an immediate motive of, I don't want my parents to be mad. Oh, I don't want to get in trouble, you know, get pulled over. That'll be an inconvenient day. You know, I, I want to have everybody think I'm all right at church. That's a less no good motive. That's just not good. The greater motive is, God, you have placed me in this family. God, you have placed me in this nation. God, you have placed me in this body of believers. Help me to function in each of those realms in the way that glorifies you and is good for all those around me, good for my parents, good for my spouse, good for my children. Let me please you. Let me glorify you. In the home, this rebellion can often take place between spouses against God's order for marriage. Sometimes it is the woman will not submit rightly to a husband. Sometimes the husband just flat out won't lead. He's just engaged in everything else and never takes the time to lead his family spiritually, to love his wife sacrificially. And, and again, biblical submission is not just that the wife does everything that the husband says, no. What has God, book, chapter, or verse, what is pleasing to God? I'm submitted to him, and when I'm submitted to him, that means sometimes I say, no, you shouldn't say that and you shouldn't do that. It's a biblical submission from parents to children, children to parents in the government, rebellion by those who are in positions of authority, who refuse to submit to the law, they think they are, I'm in this position. I was elected. I've been here for decades. I can do whatever I want to do. You will stand before God, madam. You will stand before God, sir. And you were given a position in a government office for a time that you will not hold forever. And then you will give account of it, every one of them. Sometimes it's those who are citizens in the land and they refuse to submit to, whether it be law enforcement, 
or whether it be to those who are elected officials. Well, that's not my party, so that's not my person. Yep, here we go, refusing to bow before God-ordained authorities. Isn't it always easier for us to see the other people who are wrong and not see the ways that we are foolish and wrong? What about in the church? Well, sometimes there can be rebellion by leaders against Scripture to not live and lead in faithfulness. Sometimes it can be rebellion through church members against Scripture to not submit rightly as a family in the congregation. But it's all. The only authority that we have is what does the Bible say? It's a delegated, a borrowed authority. It's not intrinsic authority. It's mine, and I've always had it, and I always will. No, no, it's, it's stewardship. Each of these positions are stewardship. Movements. And entire ecclesiastical branches of Christianity have been out of alignment with Scripture for generations. And without the Reformation and without revival, loved ones, there's no hope. So in the darkness 500 years ago, the Reformation light shined out. Martin Luther nailed that 95 thesis on the door and the five solas of the the Reformation, we're still holding to those that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ, and not plus baptism or something else, alone. According to, where do you get all of this? Scripture alone. Why? To the glory of God alone. Those are the five solas. Confused me when I first learned. I'm like, hey, hey, I don't know. How do you get one alone if there's five? When you put it together, you see this is the work of the gospel. Oh, may we hold to this faithfully. These individuals, their third heir is they're disrespectful. They blaspheme, Jude says, the glorious ones. These are the angels above them. Verse 9, but when the Archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people, these unnamed people, these certain people, they blaspheme all that they do not understand. They're disrespectful. Jude here, now, he cites an extra biblical source. If you're like, whoa, I need to find the book, chapter, and verse. Where did this happen? You're not going to find it in the Bible. It's not there. He is referencing the Jewish tradition, which was, uh, we don't have a full copy of it. It's known as the Assumption of Moses. Had to do with the sayings that Moses uh, delivered to Joshua, not included in the Old Testament. You don't find it there. It also included the legendary belief about the body of Moses that was never found. It's not in the Bible. Paul did this in 2 Timothy 3 when he mentioned the the rebellion, uh, you know, those two individuals that opposed Moses. You can't find their names in the Old Testament. But passed down through oral tradition and, and written down at some point. And so then you're thinking, well, wait a second. There... Are they endorsing this? No. By them mentioning it 
to an audience in the first century. The first century was familiar. The first century was putting all this together. They knew exactly what they were talking about. And so they simply used something to say, so you can see it happen in your literature, but you're not applying it even to scripture, lesser to greater. In the lesser traditions, you see this happen, but you won't apply it in scripture that's direct revelation from God. People, can you see this? Danger warning. Deuteronomy 34, verse verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab. This is what we have about it from the scripture record. According to the word of the Lord, and he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. Where is this about Michael, the archangel, and all that? No, it's not there. Okay, so Jude mentions this from Jewish tradition. And what is, he, what is he drawing out? Why is he using this? First of all, Jude and Paul are able, Paul did this when he was preaching in, uh, at Mars Hill, some of your poets have said. Um, when he writes to Titus, he talks about, as some say, that Cretans are always liars. Th- that doesn't mean that he fully endorsed everything that they said. He's using something they're familiar with to bring home a truth, okay? I can't do that. So I can't reference C.S. Lewis, and I was inspired by the Spirit to do that. But know this, just because I mentioned something by C.S. Lewis or any other person doesn't mean I have to fully agree with and embrace everything that they do. Even that comes and applies to music that we sing, whether it be an old hymn or something new written. It has to stand, rise or fall, stand on the merit of the content of the lyrics, because there's no one perfect and without sin that we wait for, that once they write the song, as soon as we get the song from Jesus, we sing that in our church. You see the, day, you see the slippery slope you're on? Okay, so he mentions this for a reason. He's saying this, he's making a point. Angelic beings, you know this, they operate within ranks, but not these certain people that you're listening to. They claim to have dreams from angels, but you know angels operate within realms and ranks. And while we're talking about these angelic beings, these powerful beings, let's go to the archangel Michael. And when he was contending with the devil, did he say, you know who I am? I am Michael the archangel. And I, like you've seen on TV, I rebuke you because look how big my church is and look at the jewelry and do you know what I drive and where I live? I rebuke, really? Because Michael the Ark, okay, let's just go to the Old Testament. One angel, one night, 185,000 Assyrians dead the next morning. One angel, not Michael, an unnamed angel. Your average, all right, bring in angel Joe. Let's go, Joe, down there, okay. 185,000 Assyrians, dead. Michael the archangel contending with the devil, and he doesn't say, I, the archangel of heaven, since you're out of the way, it's me in charge now, buddy. No, he doesn't. 
He said, the Lord rebuke you. Okay, check please. Done. Michael shows up in the account when Daniel was praying and Daniel was reading the prophecy of Jeremiah, some of what we read this morning. And when Daniel in exile is reading, he hears the prophecy of the 70 years. And he begins praying at the, be, at the beginning of his dream, saying, God, if you, we went out in multiple phases, and let's, let's take the 70-year clock from the first departure. God, I'm interceding for our people. We've sinned, and, and I'm taking you on your word, and you said you would bring us back, and I don't know how this is going to happen, and here we are in a foreign land, but I'm praying. And while he's praying, Michael is released to him, but Michael is withheld. There, there's this battle that's going on. And all the while, Daniel is praying, but the, finally the messenger gets through and he was held back, but he, did, he, he got the message where it needed to go. And in Daniel's praying for an immediate, bring us back, bring us back home, he's given the vision of the end of times. He wasn't even praying for that. He was praying, God, can we go home? And the Lord is like, well, while you're praying there, Dan, let me tell you what's gonna happen when it's all said and done. The big finale These angels, they didn't break rank, but these people, these certain people, these people that creeped in, wormed in, oh, they do. They are the top of their rank in their minds. There have been movements within Christianity that they throw those rebukes against Satan around. Watch out for that. Yes, we serve a mighty God. Satan is no match for God, but next to you and me, he is the devil. And we die because our first mother was deceived and our first father willingly committed treason against the creator. Nothing to play nothing to be overly engaged in learning about the darkness. Here we are on what day? Yeah. Hoping to shine the light of the darkness tonight to our community. These people are in, what's he saying? They're in way over their heads and they don't know it. But I'm telling you, they're in way over their heads. Don't join them in the quicksand. They're going down. They're spiritually blind. Listen to what Romans, Paul says in Romans 16. We have a song. We sing this at camp, right? It's been a, a little while. The, the junior campers love this song. And, and Paul writes and he says, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil and innocent as to what is evil. See there, you need to know, but I don't need you to know by experience. So let's focus on knowing what is good and I'll give you what you need on what, about what is evil. But here, what you need to know, here's the end of it all, verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Do you see who's winning this battle? When you step into across eternity shore into heaven, do you know who wins that battle for you? It's not you. It's God. It's already won. And so we live out from victory, not for victory. Because this day is coming, Satan knows it, and all of his minions with him, they all know this, this is their coming day, that he will be crushed where? Under the feet of believers. Well, who does that? Not the believers. God will soon crush Satan 
So hold on. And you're, you're going to hold on. You know what you're going to need, church? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You're going to need grace. This is what modifies us so we're not like, we're going to fight. You know, we're going to fight. Let's go fight. No. Let's go love. Let's go be kind. Let's speak the truth in love. Let's be gracious. Oh, may God help us in this. So listen, their claim, oh, we're superior to Scripture. Their conduct, nope, it's subversive to Scripture. goes directly against it. And thirdly, there's a condemnation that is suitable from Scripture. These individuals, Judas saying, do not hitch your life to their engine. Do not sign on. Do not, well, I think they meant well. Well, I thought that, no. Understand the outcome of their teaching and their lives, their claim and their conduct. It's coming into a condemnation, and we've seen it before, and we're going to see it again. They are destroyed like animals below them. These people, they blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. What's the problem here? They're arrogant. They're talking about, they're talking against all that they cannot comprehend, and they're ignorant. They are like foolish beasts who exist primarily. What do beasts exist? Right? Even our little pets, they want to be fed. They want to sleep. They want to play. They want to do other unmentionable things until you get them trained, right? Oh, sorry, that's my dog. <laughs> He's a dog, okay? Here you go. You can have your dog back, please, right? Okay? He's saying, here are these people come, and they're talking all high religion, but actually, they're like these beasts. They're ignorant. Michael Green says it this way. I found this helpful. He says, how ironical that when men should claim to be visionary, they should actually be ignorant. When they think themselves superior to the common man, get my book, Dianetics, whatever else, they should actually be on the same level as animals and be corrupted by the various practices in which they seek liberty and self-expression. The very things they're promoting will turn and destroy them, loved ones. They're arrogant, they're ignorant, and listen, they're impotent. They're impotent. They have a message that will not save them, and they have a message that will damn their hearers. They're impotent to save. That's a problem. And this is what, when you love someone, you want them to be discerning about, but mom, the guy had candy in a really nice van and I couldn't see in it, but I'm sure there was more candy in that van. Hold it, time out, no. That's what Judah's saying. Stop looking at the flashy it's a sleight of hand going on, and like foolish beasts, they're going to be destroyed, and all who have followed them, because they're impotent to save. Now, this brings us to 2 Timothy. Turn there, 2 Timothy 2. And with this section, we draw this sermon to a close, 
And I just want you to see the panoramic view of the Old Testament to the New Testament. And this is where you and I, we have to say, God, are we a church? Are we doing what is right? Are we approaching your word in a right way? So then Paul, and you know, this is one of my favorite passages. This is, this is what we focused on, men going through the study, the Bible study this summer. 2 Timothy 2, verse 1, Paul writing, this is his swan song to the, to the, the baton is being handed to younger Timothy. You then, my child, Timothy, listen to me, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share, Timothy, in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier, Timothy, listen to me, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his, aim, since his aim is to please the one who has enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of his crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything, Timothy. Verse eight, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ, Timothy. He's risen from the dead. He's the offspring of David, has preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound, Timothy. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For listen, Timothy, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we also will reign with him. If we deny him, Timothy, pay attention to me. He will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Aren't you thankful for that? Remind them. Okay, well, what's my job? For he cannot deny himself, it says at the end of verse 13. Here's your job description, man of God. This is now I could put my name in here. Okay, hey, Brian, remind them of these things. Charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best, Brian, to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talks will spread like gangrene. Among them are, now here, Timothy uh, uh, is warned about these two guys, Hymenaeus and Philetus, Paul names them who have swerved from the truth. This is apostasy. Saying that, here's their message, the resurrection has always happened. We had a dream. It's already happened. You've missed it. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing the seal. The Lord, are you thankful for this, knows those who are his? And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Don't, don't take a little bit in. Run from it. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some are for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So listen to me, Timothy. Listen to me, young men. Listen to me, young ladies. Yes, listen to me, all ages, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Oh, that one gets me. Correcting his opponents with, oh, here's another one, gentleness. May God, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses 
and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. May God help us in every one of those aspects there. So listen, beloved, beware of this claim, a claim that is superior over Scripture. Beware of a conduct that is subversive to Scripture because actually they're defiled, they're defiant, and they're disrespectful because coming as a condemnation is suitable from Scripture. So let me give us three questions, all right? Small groups are not meeting this week. We have an outreach tonight. You're welcome to help serve in that. Here's the questions that I want us to be thinking through. How is Scripture superior to a personal dream or experience? Like, really think on that. How is Scripture superior to, well, I feel, well, I think, well, I've always, book, chapter, verse. Where is it difficult for me to submit to authority? Nobody that trouble? All right, good. We'll move on to the third one. What is, <laughs> that's for my kids. That's for my kids. That's the, Okay. What is my next step to surrender to Christ as Lord of my life? What needs to go? How do I need to surrender? Let's stand together. Let's stand together. We're going to sing together, Lord, I need you. You feel that this morning? Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Praise team, you come. Father, Thank you for your word, your timeless truth. Oh, I thank you, Lord, for the privilege, the honor that you have set here before me and trusted to me to deliver the word to your people. Lord, I, I humbly admit, Lord, I need you. This is our confession. And I pray for anyone listening this morning if they have never confessed you as, as Christ, as Lord, may today be the day that they do. Thank you for your word and your salvation. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.